one thing that you discovered when uh, Peggy was reading her rendition is that Psalm 96 is a missionary hymn. She talked about, uh, in there, she talked about uh, give the message to the lost, actually, she said, her rendition said. But this emphasis on this psalm is uh, to the nations. In fact, I think the nations and the Gentiles are mentioned more than Jews. In fact, if you look at verse 1, look what it says. Sing a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. You see that? Not just, not just Israel, but all the earth. Look down at verse 3. Declare his glory to the what? Nations. You see that? His wonders to all peoples. Different than just the Jews. And verse 4 says that uh, the Lord is greatly to be praised and feared above all gods, for he is a God of the peoples, plural, see. Uh, so we see that. Um, we also see in verse 7, for example, it says, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Again, plural, notice that. Down in verse 9, the last phrase in verse 9, Tremble before him, who? All the earth. You see that? Verse 10 says basically the same thing, the last sentence. He shall judge the peoples. Not just the Jews, but the peoples. Verse 13 says, verse 11 says, The heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. See? And then when you get down to the end, uh, like verse 13, it says, He shall judge the earth, He shall judge the world, not just the Jews, and the peoples. And so this is a, a hymn uh, that we would call a missionary type hymn, or an evangelistic hymn, because it mentions the nations or the peoples. Now it's divided into two major sections, and the, the, the division is very obvious. Each division begins with a threefold uh, command. So look at section number one, which is verses one through six. Notice how it opens. Oh, sing, look. Sing to the Lord. Look. Sing to the Lord. Threefold command. Sing, sing, sing. Section 2 opens with a threefold command, beginning in verse 7. Look what it says. Give to the Lord. Look. Give to the Lord. Look. Give to the Lord. All the other verses modify these commands or, you know, fill in information about these commands. Now, you don't have a superscription over the psalm. Which means we, it doesn't tell us who wrote it, it doesn't tell us the background of the psalm, but we can find out who wrote the psalm and the circumstances in which it was first used. And in order to do that, I want you to mark your Bible, turn over to First Corinthians, or First Chronicles rather, First Chronicles chapter 16. Now, First Chronicles is after you know all the five books, the first five books, then Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then you're going to come to all these historical books, you know. Samuel, Kings, and then you'll come to Chronicles. And turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And I'll give you the background. 1 Chronicles 16 tells about David coming into Jerusalem and bringing the ark into uh, the city of Jerusalem. But the background is very interesting. Back in you know, chapters 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, what happens is Saul is king. And King Saul goes out to fight the Philistines and he gets killed in battle. 
So David is anointed the new king of Israel. And he defeats the Philistines. He does what King Saul could not do. And so then he brings the Ark of the Covenant. That was that box that had the angel's wings and God's glory between the angel's wings. Uh, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and he puts it in the, t- in the tabernacle. And so if you look at the last verse of chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles, it's a very interesting verse. I never saw it before. So here's David coming back from victory. They're getting ready to celebrate this victory. He's carrying this Ark. Saul's mean old Saul is dead. dies in battle. Look at verse 29 of chapter 15. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King Saul whirling and playing music and she was... She despised him in her heart. Here's the King Saul's daughter looking out the window and she sees David coming who's just won the battle. Her dad's been killed in the battle and she despises King David. So what happens is that King David comes into the city and they have this great celebration over David's victory and his being anointed as the new king. So we'll look down at verse 8 and you just see this is called David's Song of Thanksgiving and he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the the peoples, that's among the nations. Uh, make known his deeds among the peoples. You know, it says, sing to him psalms and all these kinds of things. And then when you get down to verse 23, what you have is an exact replica from 23 to 33, or 22 22 or 23, 23 to 33, an exact verbatim replica of Psalm 96. So let's just read this. Look what it says. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. And you're going to see when we get in the psalm, this is a word for word. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the peoples. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the earth. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory that's due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. The world is also firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say to the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea roar. What's the sea supposed to do? Well, there you go. See, I'm just following Peggy's instructions. Let the sea roar. Let the field rejoice. Let the trees and the woods clap and rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. So what we have here is that uh, in 1 Chronicles 16, we have the Psalm 96 basically repeated. In fact, this is probably the first place it was used. And it was a psalm of David, so now we know who wrote it. And the occasion for the psalm being sung was the defeat of the Philistines and David being anointed as king and them celebrating the victory. And now with David in command, the word goes out, tell the nations, call the nations to join in with Israel in this worship. So go back to Psalm 96, and that's the history. Okay? So now we'll look at Psalm 96. 
And we look at verse 1, and the first words there are, O sing. So that's the call. That's what we call the call to worship. We saw a call to worship last week. Notice the object of the worship. O sing to who? The Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. All caps, which means what? Yeah, the God of the covenant. The God who revealed himself to Moses, established a covenant with his people, and he's going to carry out the covenant. And in this case, God did. He intervened, and uh, they won the victory. And so, now, don't sing to David that the victory's been won. Let's give God the credit. Sing to the Lord. He's the object of the worship. What are they to sing? Look at this. A new song. See? Uh, which means a fresh song. A song for a new day. A song for a new situation. A song because there's a new king. Uh, God's mercies are fresh every morning and every day. We should have a new song. We should be praising him anew. It shouldn't be the same old, same old. Okay? Who is to sing in verse 1? Look what it says. Sing to the Lord what? All the earth. See, everyone is to sing to the Lord. Okay? And what are we to sing to the Lord? Notice not just the Jews that sing. It's, it's everybody who sings. The earth. What are we to sing? Sing, verse 2, sing to the Lord and bless His name. This is how they're to worship. How are you to worship when you sing? You're to bless His name, which is simply another way of saying praise Him. That's what bless... Hey, you want to bless me? Praise me, right? You want to bless God? Praise Him. Brag on God. That's what it's basically saying. Extol God. Now, at this point, everything is vertical. It's sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. That's all vertical. But then what happens, it seems that in the middle of verse 2, that things start going horizontal. Now, this is debatable, but I think this, I'll show you at least what that looks like. Now watch this. Proclaim the good news of his salvation. See, that seems like we are to proclaim, that's vertical, preach, you know, announce to everybody around you what? The good news of his salvation, which means deliverance, how God stepped in and delivered his people. Now, watch this. When are you to do it? From day to day. You see that at the end of verse 2? Not once, but continually, from day to day. Okay. Where are you to do it? Look at verse 3. Declare his glory where? Among the nations. That's line number one. Then the parallel. His wonders among all the peoples. Now we come to the why of doing it. Why should you do that? Now look at the why. Verse four. Because, you should do this, because, or for, the Lord is what? He's great. And greatly to be praised. The Lord is great, and He is greatly to be praised. That means our praise should be proportionate to His greatness. God is greater than anything else, and our praise should be proportionate to God's greatness. He's, it should be all-inspiring type of praise. Okay? Look at the end of verse 4. He is to be feared above all gods. Now, it could mean he's to be respected or reverenced among all gods, but fear is a good word. I like fear. He's to be feared among, among all gods or above all gods. Why? 
Why would he to be, be feared among or above all the other gods? Well, if you know Barney Fife is up here and he's going to beat me up, you know, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is over here and he's going to beat me up, who should I fear? <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, God's to be feared above all gods because he's what? <laughs> Greater, stronger, you know, more powerful than the other gods. In fact, the other gods are useless. They're worthless. In fact, they don't even exist. They're figments of people's imagination. But people try to explain why bad things happen. And we always say, why do bad things happen? And the heathen nations try to explain why, why there was a crop failure. Why there was a drought. Why was there a flood? Why was there a tsunami? Why did these things happen? And they said, oh, it must be one of the gods are against us. And they are punishing us. And so, because they fear these gods, they would try to appease these gods. And they would give these gods names, like Poseidon, you know, all these different crazy gods. And so these gods are nothing. The one god that we really are to fear is God, who is the real thing, not, not someone who is is faith. Then there's a second reason, and that second reason is found in verse 5. 4, then here's the second 4. Verse 4 was found in verse 4 because, now here's the second because, because all the gods are the pe of the people are what? Idol. Idols. That means they made them with their hands. That's what an idol is. These gods were created by the people. But, look at the end of verse 5. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Israel's God, is the creator. These other gods were created. Israel's God made the heavens. He is the creator. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, or in his tabernacle. That's where David put the Ark of the Covenant. So that's the first section. Sing, sing, sing. Talks about worship, and we have everything that goes with it. Now we come to the second section. Okay, Give, give, give. Okay, So look at verse 7. Give to the Lord. That's Israel's God. Yahweh or Jehovah. Who's to give? O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Now, something that's very interesting is verses 7 through 9 are an exact replica of Psalm 29, 1 and 2. In fact, it's an exact replica of another psalm. I'm not going to get you all confused. Which begins to tell us things. That uh, many sentences or words were and thoughts were repeated in different psalms and under different circumstances. Okay? So, notice what it says. It says in verse 8, Give the Lord the glory that's due his name. He, give the Lord what he deserves, basically. Uh, if something is due, that means something is owed. Give God what is, what is owed. We owe something that's a debt that needs to be paid. We owe God a debt, and the debt that we owe needs to be given. That's basically what he's saying. Who is to give it? It says all the people. See that in verse 7? 
So it's not just the Jews that owe God this debt, but the nations owe God the debt. Now, what does it mean to give God strength and glory? What does all that entail for the Gentile nations? Well, look what it says at the end of verse 8. Give, 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 and then the verse 8 says, give or bring what? An offering. That's what you have to bring and come into his courts. It involves giving a tangible gift to the Lord for the nations. Okay? Isaiah speaks of the nations and the kings of the nations who bring their gold and their silver and their camels and they bring it into the nation of Israel to give as a gift from God. This is like a tribute of the nations who have been defeated, acknowledging that God is king, and in a tangible way, bringing him a gift. When the kings of the east come to worship one who is born king of the Jews, Jesus, what do they bring? They bring gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here is a call not only for us to sing and worship God through song and praise, but here is a call to give and give something tangibly and bow down and worship Him, basically is what it says. And the Gentiles are to do that. The nations are to do that. Now since most of us in this room are Gentiles, I wasn't around when this was written. God revealed Himself first to Abraham and told him to be sacrificed and He's going to form a nation of Jews. And it would be through the Jews that the Gentiles see the light of the Gospel. And I wasn't part of that. But I and all of us in this room somehow got in on it because we heard the gospel. We're Gentiles. Guess what? We should be giving God tangible gifts. So this is where the concept of us giving God gifts comes from, right here in this psalm. Now, that is vertical, right? Give God gifts. Now comes the horizontal. Look at verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Now that's what you had back at the beginning of the psalm. Sing, sing, sing. That was vertical. Verse 3, horizontal. Declare his glory among what? The nations. Okay, now you have give, give, give. Verse 7 and 8. That's vertical. Now we see that we are to declare... And that is, what verse is that? Verse 10. Now we are to declare or to say among the nations, and here's what we're to say to the nations. The Lord reigns. The Lord rules. That is the gospel that we preach. The Lord rules. And from a Christian perspective, it's not just that Jesus died. It's not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but Jesus ascended and he sits at the right hand of God the Father on the throne of David, the scripture says. It's imagery to show us that Jesus rules. And that's the message that we're to preach. We're to preach that message to the nations. The Lord, that's God, the covenant God of Israel, rules. Do the other gods rule? No, they don't rule. Only the Israel's God is the world ruler, whether you realize it or not. It says this in verse 10. The world is also firmly established. He rules and he's in control of the world. 
Nobody else. It's not, you know, Poseidon is in control of the city. God rules and he establishes the world. He controls it. It's not out of his control. It shall not be moved. He rules. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Now this starts, starts serving as a warning at this point. Okay. So we have that he not only rules the earth, but he is going to judge the peoples, and the peoples are the nations. Okay? So we have this judgment. He shall, that's future tense, judge the people. How will he judge them? Righteously. So this serves as a warning, and the nations who bring these gifts are not just to bring the gifts and bow down and go back and live like heathen. They need to start acting like they're living under the reign of God, or suffer the consequences, basically. So now we come to this sort of conclusion of this whole thing. In light of this, okay, in light of the God rules, here's the conclusion. Verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. That's all of creation. Heaven and earth. Angels and humans. Rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Okay? Let the sea roar and all of its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. So what we have is we have this all of creation will rejoice. Okay, So everything rejoices. Jesus said, you know, if you don't praise God, he could cause these stones to rise up and praise him. All of creation somehow is God's. He's in control. And we have this universal praise of God there in verses 11 and 12. Then verse 13 opens with the word for, which gives us the reason. Why is all this praise coming before the Lord? Why does heaven and earth praise God? Even seemingly inanimate objects praise God. Uh, this shows you the trees, seas, are described as if they're almost people. You know, the sea roars! Praise the Lord! Each wave comes in and says, Praise the Lord! And the bigger wave comes in, Praise the Lord! Sort of put in human terms. Trees, sometimes the Psalm says, Let the trees what? Clap their hands as if they're people. Say. Uh, this is imagery simply saying that heaven and earth is going to praise the Lord. Why does everything praise the Lord? Because he reigns. And look at verse 13. Because he is coming. For his coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. Everything is going to be worked out in the end. Everybody's going to get what they deserve and what they don't deserve. In a sense, the evil are going to be judged for being evil and not coming under the reign of God. And all of creation, Paul says, groans for that day of redemption when everything is redeemed and God's kingdom is set up on earth. So that's what it says. He's coming, verse 13. He's coming to judge the earth. Okay. So we need to get prepared for that. He shall judge the world with righteousness. In the end, justice will prevail. And he will judge the peoples, that's all the peoples of the world, with truth. It'll be an honest judgment. So, this is what David envisions. 
He calls us to praise the Lord. He calls us to give to the Lord. He looks at the end time and says, God's going to judge. We need to be ready for that. There's a warning. You're going to be judged. Or you're going to be swept into his kingdom. He envisioned that day. Now, John the Baptist comes on the scene. And what's his message? Repent. Why, why should we repent, John? Because what? The kingdom of God is at hand. This coming is real close. So you have John's message basically follows up with this message. Jesus comes and he says the same thing. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So they are proclaiming the same message. John the Baptist and Jesus. In fact, John says the axe is already at the root. The judgment's ready to fall right now. God has his axe and he's ready to go right down on that root and, and judge it and cut off those people who are evil. So it's a warning. And the warning is if you want to get in on this kingdom, you need to reverse your way of thinking. You need to break with the system, the world system, your loyalties, and give your loyalty to the kingdom of God and to God who reigns. And so that message they don't like and they kill Jesus. And they put on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, king, king of the Jews. Laughing and saying, that's a joke. He's no king. And the Jews say to Pilate, if you let him go, you're no friend of Pilate, you're no friend of Caesar's. And so they put him to death and he dies and they go, well, we got rid of that troublemaker. And three days later, what happened? God raised him from the dead, he ascends and he sits at God's right hand, and he reigns. Our God reigns. And that is the message, you see. So Jesus Christ is reigning. Whether people realize it or not. And one day, he's coming back to judge. And when he does, there'll be the great divine. And those who have not come under his rule will be judged. Those who have come under his rule will enter the kingdom of God. He's coming back. You can almost hear the sounds. You can almost envision heaven opening. You can almost hear the shout. That's how close it is. His coming is that close. It's near, even at the door. So, next week, we go to Psalm 97, and notice how it opens. The Lord reigns. That's why we call these the enthronement psalms because each psalm is about the reign of the Lord and our response to it. So let's pray. Then we'll take a few minutes break and then we're going to have our new members lunch. And what time does that start? As soon as we can get it set up. We already have many tables set up. So just hang around, talk to people, use the restrooms and then we're going to have a great lunch and you're a new member, we welcome you as our guest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word, this psalm. We thank you for Peggy's reading of the psalm. We thank you that we can sense the excitement that we should be having in response to the news. The Lord reigns. And in that graphic, dramatic way, we got that sense. That enthusiasm should be in our hearts and on our lips every day. 
Lord, we are grateful that we've heard the good news of salvation that God reigns, that He delivers us from the judgment, and that we've responded to help us declare that message to the nations in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.